the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman. And, uh, you know, this last week we just had the 18th anniversary of 9-11. And I wanted to do a show on 9-11, but wasn't able to be on radio last week. So we're saving that for this week. And, you know, it's just interesting to me that at this day and age, we all live through it. I and mean, we're in California. We weren't impacted like New York and uh, the tri-state area up there. But I remember all of Southern California, everybody had flags out. Every, you know, the churches were crowded like for three weeks. Um <laughs> Everybody had flags on the car. And on 9-11, I was in Orange County, and I saw one guy had a BMW. He had the two flags up. I thought, you know, that was, that was a class act that somebody actually did remember what that was like. But um, I, I found a really nice video that I wanted to share on 9-11. So I put it on my Facebook page for my, my personal, my companies, and I put it on the Firing Line Radio Show group. And Facebook censored it. Facebook censored it. This was a, if you go on our site, you just have to unclick the video, but unclick the uh, cover. They call it a uh, violent video. But it goes over to the voicemails left for all the people who were on the planes just before they were murdered. And, and I think these are things that we need to drive home every single day. So joining me on the show, I have a couple of different folks here. I have uh, Desiree Payne. Now she's actually with Riverside Gun Owners. Um, County, Riverside County gun owner. She's here just to give us some color commentary and tell us later about her her uh, organization. But I have Gary Fishbone. Gary Fishbone's joining us from New York City. He's out doing a tour here, and he's he is the official first annual uh, Maglite Citizens Award winner. And there's a very simple, not simple, very serious reason as to why. That is, and, and we're going to go into Gary's story here in just a second. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I wish you was under different circumstances, right? We're talking about you know, your, your last name is Fishbone. We're talking about the band Fishbone. <laughs> we can hang out and do that, but this is this is something different. And uh, you were involved at Ground Zero on nine eleven. Yeah. Uh, so so you're an electrical contractor, and you worked for the Silverstein Corporation. Yeah, well, they were. One of our many customers, right. but uh, obviously very large. They, just a few months earlier, had won the lease ownership for the entire complex. And they were just starting to move their offices in there and, you know, assuming control of it. 
And you were one of their contractors. And I'm one of their prime electrical contractors. And you did a lot of building on all of those sites. Um, we always had, for the many years even before they took ownership, we've done con- you know, contracting through the two towers and the smaller buildings, uh, three, four, and five. Uh, seven was constructed late, the last, and Silverstein was the one behind that with the Port Authority, and they constructed their building, and it was filled with the top 20 floors was Solomon Brothers, and the lower 20 floors were government agencies, IRS, FBI, Secret Service, Department of Defense, um, and on and on. And I built all of their spaces. And the one other space was uh, the famous uh, Rudy Giuliani bunker in the sky. And uh, that was when I completed that job, I felt I was, you know, pretty big stuff because that was one cool facility. Now, is that the one when Rudy would wear that dark cape with the pointy ears and he had the big computer screens? Was that was that that one? Uh, uh, You know, I'm not familiar with that one exactly, but, you know, he took a he he took a lot of ownership of putting it in there and putting a facility like that Um, when we finished it. Uh, the Israelis were taken on a tour through it. Uh, Taking uh, notes? Well, you know, yeah. listen, security, they are, the Israelis are great at it as yeah. well, but there were shared technologies that they were doing, Kevlar walls and things like that. It was uh, quite a facility and linked with satellites everywhere that you could see, you know, a pimple in, uh, in, in Afghanistan if you wanted to. It was really quite impressive well, for a city that, agency. Right, and that was their... But, you know, we're the city of the world, New York. So, you know, everybody that's there from the United Nations on, you know, people didn't necessarily always feel that they were, it's just Americans. It was a world place. Yeah. So go through that morning then. <clears throat> well, it was a, a tremendously gorgeous uh, early September day where you'd want to play hooky, if, if anything. And I can tell you that I really felt like that driving in that day. But work is what work does. So I went to my office and just went about my business and received a, a phone call from uh, one of the owners of our company. Uh, and you were about a mile away. Yeah, it's just, no, we're at 25th Street, and that's obviously lower Manhattan there. And uh, when I got the call, you know, it was cryptic, and I didn't really understand what he meant. He said, you know, a plane hit the Trade Center, so my mind thought, you know, Greenpeace or, you know, some Cessna or something like that. Some other terrorist organization like Greenpeace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> no, I don't necessarily put it out. But, but you know, I just thought it was just an My accidental yeah. airplane. Uh, uh, Corey Lytle of the Yankees crashed his plane into a building in New York by accident. And so, you know, that's what I thought. And so I grabbed my all security passes to the Trade Center, uh, had my, ran over to 7th Avenue to grab a cab and say, you know, take me down to the Trade Center in this a Muslim-type uh, cab driver turns to me and says, you want to go where? <laughs> I said, just get me down there. And he got me down about four blocks north of the of the trade center where they weren't letting traffic go back. I jumped out of the car and basically ran into the back of Seven World Trade as that was the most northern building. And How many floors was Seven? About 50. Okay. And, uh, you know, at that point I got into the building. I knew people, you know, so I helped evacuate the remaining people that were in there. And I went up to the ninth floor, which was uh, the floor of uh, Secret Service. I knew some agents after building their space and wanted to, you know, because I am who I am, I wanted a better view. And I got up there and I was looking all around and then I saw a couple bodies. And, and I saw one of them land. And 
you know, just turned around and basically the one agent that was there says, come on, it's time for us to go. And I went back down to the lobby and standing in the lobby looking up, all of a sudden a giant flash. Well, that's when the, some of the other people said, there's more planes, there's more planes. And a second plane had hit big flash and through the sky coming across as part of the plane and it crashed into seven. Now I was staying in seven because the initial plan was to use the lower lobby as a triage point. So I was getting temporary light and power and getting all ready. Your guys, you had guys incoming with all supplies. Uh, yeah, yeah, we had our warehouse out in Brooklyn, you know, loading up a truck to get down there and, and all that. And so, you know, you're, you're just down there now and you're just looking a little bit. Both towers are now hit. And, you know, like the time and minutes, you know, I can't doc- document each one of them. But the second tower that got hit was the first to come down. And it started coming down. And I'm standing by the glass front of Seven World Trade looking right at it. And you'll see a little uh, burn mark from a piece of glass when it imploded in. From the, when the first tower came down and we were standing there and we had a run. And you know, it was like, run now. And there was a little lock area between the lower lobby and the loading dock. And about 14 of us or so, I use that number. I could have been two less, Desert five bonds, more. Yeah. It was It was just we were packed in there. And and, well, why couldn't you count? It was dark. You couldn't see. It was dark. Right? Yeah. Well, after the first tower collapsed, the you know you all saw it on television, you know, people running away from those big billows. And then we were right underneath it. And it came into seven, so it was in the loading dock, and it was starting to filter in to where we were in the lock. And as it was starting to fill up, Panic. I mean, the people I was in there with are emergency personnel trained in this stuff. But, you know, when real stuff happens, you find out that everybody has different fear levels. So the screaming was real. The panic was real. There was one agent in there, a giant fella, just one of the, you know, monster guys. And he screamed out in colorful language to... New York. uh, No, no. Real New York language? uh, Well, you know... I think you drop F-bombs, you know, all around the world. But, uh, you know, this big fellow just said, shut up, you know, screamed at the people. Does anybody know the way out? I said, yeah, I do. Get up here and lead us out. You know, you have to understand me. I always thought I'd be the guy who was laying down in the, you know, in the corner. But, okay, so I got there. We opened the door to the loading dock side and whoosh, we get, everything comes in on us. It took, as I said in video that I produced, I wrapped my nice tie around my face and, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do. So when I reached as a contractor, I always carry with me a mag light of some sort or another. And, uh, you know, I took it out so that I could try and find a beam. But the beam, you know, a foot away from the wall wouldn't make it to the wall. That's how much was flying in the air. but All the debris, and, yeah. and, and all the electricity was out of the building? Yeah, so it's you were on, it was, in the emergency lights, you couldn't see them, because again, right. they were... Yeah, so. Right, well, we're going to hold it right here, right? We're trapped in a small locker. It's blinded, no electricity. You're on your own. Think about this, folks. If you work in a high-rise, what you're going to do. Folks, Philip Naiman, Firingland Radio Show, both right back with Gary Fishbone and uh, this 9-11 show. A message from Vince, the owner of Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo in Riverside. If you're a first-time gun owner or thinking about purchasing your first firearm, whether for hunting, home defense, or recreational shooting, it is important to take the next step and become a responsible gun owner. We highly recommend that you attend a certified firearm safety and training class, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essentials to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. 
As a law-abiding citizen, you have the right to self-defense, and with that right comes an obligation to educate yourself on the laws and safety procedures needed to use a firearm properly. For information about certified firearm training classes, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside at 951-823-0211 or check out their schedule of classes at bullseyesport.com. Because of Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, we believe in safety first. 951-823-0211. Pull! Whether you're a gold medalist or new to the sport of shooting, you'll love Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, where Olympians shoot. Prado's shotgun facility is world-class, offering trap, skeet, and five-stand. And the pistol and rifle ranges are safe and enjoyable shooting environments with professionals there to answer all your questions. Are you an experienced pistol shooter with an itch to take your skills to the next level? Discover the sport of practical shooting at one of the monthly events. Prado hosts ISPC shooting events open to the public every first and third Sunday with Prado Running Gun Club, blending accuracy, power, and speed with challenging multiple moving targets, penalty targets, and obstacles. Prado Olympic Shooting Park is a great place to teach your whole family about the safe and effective use of firearms. Bring the whole family for an exciting day at the shooting range. Call Prado Olympic Shooting Park at 909-597-4518. Online at shootprado.com. 909-597-4518. AM 590. The answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside and the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Hey, folks, our sponsor, Bullseye Sport in Riverside, is having their seventh annual celebration of National Hunting, Shooting, and Fishing Day Saturday, September 28th. But even better than that, it's 10 years strong for Bullseye Sport. So join the owner, Vince Torres, in celebrating Bullseye Sport, serving the Inland Empire for a decade. There'll be raffles, drawings all day long, free use of the virtual reality shooting simulator, food and refreshments, and discounts throughout the store, including firearms and ammo. Riverside Police Department's canine demonstration, plus a recording of the Firing Line Radio Show at 9 a.m. So don't miss this day, Saturday, September 28th, at Bullseye Sport, National Hunting, Shooting, and Fishing Day. The Bullseye Sport's 10-year strong celebration. Doors open at 9 a.m., but get there early, because all the best stuff goes early. Bullseye Sport on Brockton between Arlington and Central and Riverside. For more details, call 951-823-0211. That's 951-823-0211, or go to bullseyesport.com. Bullseye Sport, where the Inland Empire gets ready to hunt, fish, shoot, and buy guns, and buy Christmas stuff, and everything else that's really cool. So check them out, folks. 951-823-0211. That should be number two on your speed dial on your phone by now. Uh, so that's that's going to be a great day. But, you know, I want to focus on, again, we're coming back to the story. I have Gary Fishbone here. Um, he is the Maglite Citizens Award winner for this year. And, and he's, we're telling his story. So I just want to cut myself out of this and jump right back to where we were. You were in a locker. You um, had your... You had to use your mag light to see six inches, right? Maybe even less. Maybe less. What what that did was at least got me in, in the direction and where I felt secure enough and got to the wall and then basically instructed everyone to pretend you're in the circus and like a trail of elephants and put your hand on my shoulder and backwards. and yeah. Left hand on the shoulder, right hand on the wall. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I you know, was just using my light as a guide because I... You know, if you're walking in pitch black, if you veer like this any little bit, you're a loading dock. 
you fall off, you snap your neck in the, in the thing. So it was really important that everybody not panic was live, but, you know, not rush and just follow the person in front of you. About have, eight, a, have a plan. Know what the plan is. Well, yeah. that was, you know, the that plan, was my plan in 30, in 10 but, seconds. But that was the beauty of it is simplicity. Put your hand on here, hand on the wall, and, walk them out. you know, I'm not trained for any of that. Right. You know, I was there with a lot of trained people, but, you know, I just tried to, you know, I, I needed to to lead, you know, or was asked to lead. And so I did. And uh, we took him down about, across about 80 feet of the dock. And I knew at that end of the dock, there was a set of double doors that was, uh, that would lead to a corridor to get people out the back of the building. And uh, this large agent and I went through this 1500 pound lock, like a hot knife through butter. And, you know, the people, I mean, at that point, everybody saw the light from the emergency lights that were on in that area was the receiving dock for Solomon into, Brothers. Yeah. Right. So at that point, they saw, and I got everybody waved them right down here, go down, you see the corridor, turns to the right, and the door's right behind. And you're at the back of seven because yeah. the front of seven was covered with debris from the plane that Or it wasn't there. I mean, it had, you know, pieces of the tower had already shredded some of the front of the building. Yeah. So, you know, going outside, yeah, I mean, who, I, I wouldn't have considered that. Well, I, just, I know if the trouble's here, we got to go there. Exactly. And uh, so we got outside, and outside of the one colleague I had with me who was a rather, rather large fella and in extreme panic, so I sort of grabbed him by his collar and said, you come with me. We got outside. You know, you couldn't really see looking up, you know, to see what it was, but I, over on the corner of Easy Street in Greenwich was a payphone. Cell phones were not working. Right. You know, it wasn't connecting with anyone. So I called the 800 number to my office and told them triage will not be happening <laughs> here. Get our emergency people out, you know, cancel that order. And they basically asked me from the office. They said on the radio, they said the tower fell. Did it fall? Well, I looked up. I couldn't see much. I knew something fell, but I didn't know it was the whole tower. The very moment that happened, the mayor's office of emergency management director or deputy director, Ray Lynch, decorated fireman, uh, he came sort of coming by and was heading north. And I said, Ray, did the tower fall? He said, yeah, the tower fell and the other one's going to fall too. Okay. You know, so I'm standing right there. I told my office, they say the other one's going to fall as well. And my cell phone actually rang. It's my wife. She's watching it on TV at home in Bellmead, New Jersey. Even some people from the uh, from this development we were in you know, ran up to stay with her. And she says, where are you? And I said, well, you know where I am. She goes, she goes, get out. And I said, I will when I can. And I said, but I'm all right, and I'm going to be all right. And our phone cut out. She didn't hear from me again for another five hours. But at that time that the phone cut out, she's watching TV. The second tower started coming down. So her panic was real because she's watching. He just hung up with me. How can he get away from that? Well, I was on the other side of it sort of night. Basically, uh, you know, turned and there was Ray Lynch coming back. Gary, run north now. Well, you know, I saw the tower, the second tower was now halfway down. So I grabbed my colleague by the collar. Come on. We ran one block, ducked right using the building as a shield. We got on the ground and curled up and literally felt the compaction of the building's iron and steel coming down. And we were bouncing off the ground from that compaction. And, you know, we, I mean, we shook and then, you know, the silence came. We got up. I was shook up, couldn't find my glasses. They were on top of my head. 
and there were probably a quarter inch of soot on my eyeglasses. We're standing there, tough to breathe. Uh, this huge agent that was with us before he'd run up there in the same spot, and we found the, in the loading dock a towel, you know, a bath towel. You know how they're constructed. Not very easy to tear. And this guy ripped it into three shreds that we were able to use and wrap around our face to respirate, you know, to, to block some of the stuff we were breathing in. At that point there, you know, I told my colleague, Ed, North is that way, go up to your office. And I hung around and I, yeah, shock sort of set in a little bit. I kept walking around in circles, trying to direct people away. And, you know, I, at some point, and it was, I guess it was now around noon or maybe a little after that, so some time had gone by. I mean, it was a blur, but I started to walk back myself up Church Street to head back to my office. And that's where the OEM had set up their, decided to set up triage. And there was Ray Lynch. And he saw me just as I was walking covered in, you know, I looked, I was wearing a nice light brown suit and I now look black and gray. And uh, he said, get him, and pointed at me and they dragged me over to the. Uh, yeah, we, we saw the photographs. People look like they got hit with a, a bag of cement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we look like. And uh, they brought me into their uh mobile unit there and they irrigated my eyes ears nose gargle um you know wiped down what they could um and ray said get him in a squad car and take him where he needs to go and that's what he did i went back up to my office because i had my father was up there and uh, about seven or eight of the office workers remained because you know, they knew me and they wanted to know where i was uh, i guess i got back up there around two o'clock and you know Everybody then... That's like five hours later, Yeah, right? yeah. and uh, at that point, uh, it was with my father. He said, come on, you can't get out of the city. Come up with us to the apartment. They have an, my parents have an apartment on 86th Street. So I went up there, and I started to really, you know, you're sitting now, you're, you're feeling the, the, your skin is crawling from the fiberglass and sheetrock dust and, and everything that's there. So I cleaned myself up as best I could, borrowed my... I guess, uh, you know, my elderly father, well, he wasn't less elderly then, but borrowed some clothes from him and he started to actually watch it on television for the first time because I didn't watch it and I was under it in real time. Right. So I watched this and I'm just getting greener and greener and now it's about 5 or 5.30, you know, just constantly watching it and they go back down, you know, back down and there went seven. Seven crumbled to the ground and I still, hair stands up on my arms because... I developed 90% of the space there and, you know, all your good work is now gone. Right. And the people you knew who were there. The people I knew, most of those people evacuated from out seven. of seven. Yeah, from seven. From seven. But now, the people I knew in one and two, there was, uh, the chief engineer for Silverstein of the whole property was Charlie McGee, and just as fine a human being as I know, a pilot um, in his uh, spare time and whatnot. But Charlie didn't abandon the ship and he went down with it. John Griffin he just started with the company at the time. John and or John's father was probably a legacy in the construction industry, and he had just gotten a job with Silverstein as assistant building manager at Tower One. John didn't make it out. He lived four doors from me in Waldwick, New Jersey, at the time, and he left behind wife and a couple daughters, and you know, and those were just two of the people who I knew knew. But I also there were other people who Lots you knew of, of yeah. and. You know, they didn't make it. There was about 10 altogether that I know didn't make it. I got to visit the site last year. We'll talk about that. We're going to come back uh, just a few seconds here. Again, this is Gary Fishbone. 
And uh, we're talking about uh, what happened on 9-11. And I've got a very special question I want to start the next episode with. I haven't told you about it because I want to get your reaction. And uh, I, think, I think we're on the same page here, folks. Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio. Check out the podcast at firinglineradio.com. We'll be right back. Are you an expert marksman looking for a clean, safe place to shoot? Or maybe you've never shot a gun but want to learn? Well, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range is the best place to work on your shooting skills, no matter what your experience level is. With 21,000 square feet of indoor range space, 35 shooting lanes, and an electronic target retrieval system, it means no line breaks and more trigger time. The friendly people at Riverside Indoor Shooting Range can answer all your questions about firearms training, self-defense training, firearm rentals, gunsmithing, archery, and more. And for the ladies, the Riverside chapter of The Well-Armed Woman meets there the second Tuesday of each month for women of all experience levels. Looking for a great holiday gift for the shooting enthusiast in your life? During the month of December, get 10% off a full year's membership or 10% off any gift certificate of $40 or more. Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. For directions and info, log on to RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. That's RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Hey folks, welcome back to our very special show here, our 9-11 Memorial Show. I've got Gary Fishbone. Gary Fishbone is here with us from New York. He's here in studio. And we just relived his day that day. You know, and I know that what he saw, and he told me a lot of things off camera and off microphone that everybody should probably really know. But I have to ask you this question. When you hear somebody in government say, 9-11, some people did some things they probably shouldn't have. Um, Il- Ilhan Omar, I think, is one of, that's her exact quote about mm-hmm. what happened in 9-11. What, what, what's your feeling on that? Well, you know, I've heard a lot of different things. That specifically, I'm not sure what she was referring to. At that was there, her description of what happened on 9-11. You know, some people I, did some things. I've, I've heard, you know, conspiracy theory theorists uh, you know, that the, there were bombs placed throughout the building and it wasn't planes. I'm here to tell you that's a bunch of crap, okay? Colorfully yeah. as, as I could. I, I, witnessed, I witnessed two, you know, fully loaded uh, jet liners with, packed with jet fuel just taken off, pierce into those buildings and go on fire. There were no explosions from lower. There were no, you know, there was no uh, uh, implosion devices to make it happen. This was it. This was real. Um, I don't know, you know, what the reference would be to some people said some things or did, did some, some things. things. Yeah. Um, nobody did anything. There were, there were two planes that ran into these buildings. Oh, no. She was explaining that the people in the airplanes, were, they were just some people who did some things. The terrorists. That was her whole thing. She's a congressperson from yeah, I, I, I know. Minnesota. You know, they were, these were the original Al-Qaeda, you know, funded by bin Laden to destroy american lives that's what it was period. exactly period it wasn't and i wouldn't accept that you know i have well, my political leadings go both in any way they're issue oriented and i don't accept what she has to say and you know to me it's it's not really understanding what new yorkers went through and probably those poor people on the planes who had really 
nothing that they could do. Well, and that was the thing that uh, video that I was sharing. It's still up on my uh, on my Facebook page, but it was them calling their homes mm-hmm. on an answering machine, knowing mm-hmm. they're not they're ninety five percent probably not going to make it out of there. You know, and it's their, their last words. And there was a video that showed I forget which I think it was the first tower because that first tower was hit higher, correct? Yeah, a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The and second sh- tower went the, that got hit. Collapsed first. first. Yeah. yeah. And it showed w- when it happened. I mean, the the compaction happens right at the same level the plane hit. It's not like a structured demolition. These people are talking about the way it fell. It's ridiculous. But um, it wasn't. You could see from the compaction, it happened right at the point, and the top fell exactly. into that, and then it fell straight down. And, and And quite frankly, what a brilliant design. That it didn't fall sideways and killed 30,000 more people. Yeah. Or more. Think yeah. about, you know, if you would just take a look at the verticality of that building, a thousand, you know, several thousand. You know, that, Almost uh, half a mile. Fifteen. Yeah. Right. That would have wiped out, plus the ancillary afterwards. Of, of all of those buildings falling ca- over. And catching fire and yeah. explosions. You have to understand, downtown there are a lot of big companies that have generator packs there with fuel running through them. And that's really what happened to Seven. Because when... We can't tell if it was the first or second tower that came down, but it did pierce into uh, the uh, World Trade Center 7 and cracked the vertical fuel lines that went up to the jenny packs up on the roof. And that caught on fire on 7, and as we know, about 5.30 at night, 7 crumbled to the ground. But it was sitting there burning on... Uh, it was burning uncontrolled. Yeah. And quite frankly, you know, I mean... What are they going to control? You couldn't tell... From the north looking south, that seven was on fire. Because of all the cloud and debris in the air? Well, no, because it was on the face of it. So the back of it, people, you didn't see what really happened to the skin in the front of seven. So you couldn't see it. You didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden, as I was watching it, you know, at 5.30 at night, for the first time from not being underneath it, and I watched it on the news, and they cut back on the news. Oh, my God, and seven crumbled to the ground, and... I just watched most of my development that I had done in my whole life turn to rubble. Not, you know, and it was, it, at that point, you know, they were evacuated from, you know. Seven was empty, yes, mostly. At that point, 5.30 at night, you know, they were already they trying knew. to get, you know, uh, they were, as I, and I'll backtrack a little bit, as I was in my days and walking up uh, Church Street before I got to the uh, uh, OEM van, I saw doctors and nurses on rollerblades skating downtown to go help, you know, with their bags. And again, it was, you know, I looked at them and saying, you're running in now. You know, I, I was questioning my own logic for running in at all. I have my wife and kids and, you know, I don't know why I did what I did, but I did it. And, uh, and then I saw the, all these doctors and emergency personnel running down there afterwards. And I said, thank God. People out there, okay, they they weren't sent there. They no. weren't sent by their bosses or and, anything. They ran there, and that's that's great, great people that they are. And the fat, sad thing was, although they started setting up for injuries and stuff, that had no was, idea the volume of what they were about to, you know. Right, but I mean, there weren't as many as they thought because people didn't make it out. Well, you know, you have to. Two tons of steel hits you in the head. It's you know, it's, you're done. I recently, I, I went to a Mets game about two weeks ago, and I was in one of the uh, club areas, and there was a retiring New York cop, and I'll give his name, Danny O'Donnell, 
course, that would be a good, good New York Italian cops. name. Yeah, yeah. Good, good New York <laughs> cops name. But, you know, we started talking. He was retiring, and he's telling his story and whatnot. And my wife is sitting there, and he's looking at her. She's welling up with tears. And I said, by the way, I'm, you know, I started telling him my story. And he said to me, he goes, you a fireman? I said, no. You a cop? I said, no. I said, EMS? He said, no. He said, so you just ran in? I said, yeah. He goes, what courage? Yeah. I never, it's 18 years later that I've heard hero a lot, a lot. But when this cop who had been there, he was one of the cops who brought Father Judge out uh, when they located him who had died and, you know, being down there. And when he used that term, I kind of looked at him and said, I never thought we'd label that with me. I thought I'd be the lion, you know, before, not after. Um, You know, so be it. That's what I, that's what I did. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I now have an office in a high rise. Well, it's in the city of Redlands. So six stories <laughs> makes it a high rise in Redlands. But uh, it's a know, chateau where we're from. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're in the cafe. Yeah. So um, the the issue is, you know, things can happen. Now, I don't think anybody's going to aim an airplane at, at Redlands, but you could have a major earthquake. Right. And buildings are designed for some things. But, hey, it's a real chance you end up with a darkened building and something like that. So do you have any ideas what people should prepare for? What would you tell somebody? Well, you know what? The the, the little thing, I, I did this uh, little shoot for the Maglite people. And, you know, I had Maglites. I'm sitting here across from you and I have one in my pocket. And having, you know, you have a survival kit. You know, we all saw it. We watched movies and everything. Be prepared. You have water. You have towels. You have band aids and a light. Okay, batteries for your for your light. Battery for your phone. You know these are things that you know smart. And, you keep them in your desk. You and keep a pistol in a lockbox. Well, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> not in New York. You can't do that. No, you can't. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah, you know, I I respect that, but it's you know, it's probably wouldn't be the first thing I'd suggest you grab. I would perhaps well, a parachute, in, and, and 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 if you're in a six story building, the parachute won't help. No, but if you're 80 stories up, you know there are guys who, afterwards, I know, you know, went online and got found, a base jumping. Yeah, yeah, wow, got stuff so that just because they knew they would be eventually working back in some other big building. Now I've had either the pleasure or the uh, fear of being around when we've reconstructed down there. And, I've ridden a hoist that's hooks to the outside of the building that goes up 70 stories and mm-hmm. shakes and moves in the wind and whatnot. It's, you know, quite, you know, I don't know if I could strap a uh, a parachute on me and jump like uh, these yeah. people were suggesting doing. You can when it's 2,000 degrees inside. Perhaps, yeah. you know, perhaps, you know, that I didn't face. But yeah. what I did face was, uh, you know, unknown, you know, you just don't. How many of us have been under a building collapse? How many yeah. of us have been in an avalanche? How many? You just don't know how you're going to react. So I take a little umbrage with people who would say, I'd have run in. You don't know what you would have done. You don't know. No. I, like I said, I'd have thought I'd been the guy who would stand in the back, and I didn't think I'd ever be the guy to go to the front. Well, I guess I found out a little something about myself. That's awesome. And a few other people did, too. There's a gal, Michelle Rodriguez, who I physically carried out of the building before the second tower. Hit. Right. And she, she was the one was, at the escalator. She was at the escalator. She was. She just couldn't move. She was frozen in time. And, you know, I still see her 
you know, as we work and, you know, stuff. And she's still, there's a hug and a thank you. And I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for you. I don't believe that. But she, you know, she makes sure she makes that feeling known. Gary, thank you so much. Folks, we'll be right back. Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out at FiringLineRadio.com. If you carry a concealed weapon and own a concealed carry permit, you need protection beyond the weapon. My name is Larry Vickers, and I am a retired veteran of U.S. Special Operations, and I now teach law enforcement, civilians, and members of our military in advanced firearm training. I train people to use their firearms in almost any situation, but I can't prepare them for what happens if they are forced to use a gun to save their lives. That's why I use CCW Safe. They offer membership plans for concealed carry permit holders, and if members are involved in a use of force incident, CCW Safe provides expert witnesses, investigators, and the best defense attorneys in the U.S. Yearly plans range from $99 for a single membership to $150 for a dual membership, and special plans are available for law enforcement and military. Members are required to have a valid concealed carry permit and must maintain their permit. Visit ccwsafe.com today. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Conan, what is best in life? Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of the women. That is good. Hey, Desiree, do you, do you agree with that? Is that Arnold? That, is, Arnold? that was when he was actually Arnold. Uh, Conan? When he wasn't the girly man governor that he became. But, uh, yeah, that was when he was actually a real Arnold. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, you, we all agree with that. Um, anyway, Desiree, uh, yeah. you just joined us. I mean, we talked about this offline. It's like, well, how, how are we going to follow Gary, right? Yeah. I mean, what a, how do you follow a, a hero with, you know, anything, well, actually anything? Here's how I'm going to do it. So... Tell me about Riverside County Gun Owners. <laughs> <laughs> smooth, smooth. Oh, Riverside County Gun Owners is a local political action committee founded about two months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were asked by San Diego County Gun Owners to start something here because they saw the need for it. And a lot of people were interested in grassroots getting only Second Amendment candidates elected or the majority doesn't matter. It's nonpartisan, Republican, Democrat, or otherwise, we don't care. It's focused on one issue. That's it. Single right. issue. We don't care what political party you are. Mm-hmm. We just all need to get in the same boat and row the same direction. How many members do you have? I'm not even sure yet. We started the first week with 25, and it's grown every meeting. Our last meeting was a CCW seminar where we had um, I, we did the we did the seminar, but we also had Jim Agalos with U.S. Law Shield there, the insurance that insures you for self defense. Yeah. issues i'm sure you've probably heard of him well actually we use ccw safe <clears throat> ccw safe.com <laughs> okay uh yeah i don't i don't have tv or radio really but anyway we had 65 people there at bullseye sport and vince torres is gracious enough to have us uh meet there every month on the fourth saturday of course this month it's not it's the third saturday because of his big event on his the 28th event. by the way he actually redid part of the store there for a classroom he did. It's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's and we did uh, the long range shooting seminar there and a hunting seminar. And uh, I know uh, Larry Townsend did the bullet wound trauma seminar there. And you did. did the CCW seminar. So yes. it, he's getting a lot of use of it. There's a lot of things going on over there. There there are. And I still have requests for all of those things that have already happened, like the long range gun. I still have people coming in and wanting to do more of it. We've done taser classes. We did NRA Women on Target. So how does that work? Yeah. 
uh, do I get to tase you first? No. Well, then so I'm not We have go. to use a paper target, unfortunately. Paper target? I don't That's... want any more lawsuits well, in California. Hold the paper target up. <laughs> it is such a fun thing to do, though. Once you pull that taser trigger, it's a lot of fun. You want to keep going. It's so expensive to use the taser, though. So. How much How much are the cartridges? Oh, I think they're $50 for two, but I'm a cheapskate. I want to, I use the real thing. If I have to, I want to use the real thing. So. <laughs> Bullets are cheaper than tasers, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's kind uh, yeah, of yeah. Um, so <clears throat> what's your goal? You say you want to have more Second Amendment friendly people elected. How are you going to achieve that? Well, we raise money. So everyone on, as the executive director, I'm a volunteer. The board members are volunteers. Their goal is to do more Second Amendment events, get political candidates speaking. We have Christopher Rahagis coming on the 21st at our meeting at 3 p.m. at Bullseye Sport. He's running against Sabrina Cervantes. No, I didn't hear that. He is. That's State very, Assembly, right? Yes. Very, um, District 60. Very Second Amendment family, of course. Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> they own Rahagis. Yeah, if you look right behind you there, there's a name on the wall. <laughs> yeah, Mike Rahagis <clears throat> gun range. Mm-hmm. So it's the grandson of that founder of that gun range, and he's running against Sabrina. He'll be there as our guest speaker. Now, is that primaries next spring, right? Yeah, it's coming up. So, we, I mean, 2020 is the year of a lot of elections. But Sabrina Cervantes is quite radical in a lot of different areas, is, is she not? Yes, yes. yes. And, and I'm, I mean, we, we have a lot of people that are members that are on all kinds of liberal or conservative sides socially. But like I said, we only care about what their stance is on the Second Amendment. And, and hers is terrible. Yes. So our goal is to support them financially. So the more memberships we have then that money goes towards the political now, candidates. Now, why would a state assembly office, why would that be important? Well, all of our positions are important. I mean, you look at me like I'm, like, I'm, like I'm calling you from New York or something. But, but the, the point on that is it's an entry-level position. Right. We, we want to catch them in the larval state. We don't want them once they have gotten to Sacramento or nationally. The problem in California the last 20 years has gone downhill for our gun rights especially with July 1st ammo laws and new gun laws. We're always getting a new law. 20 years ago, I heard it was a completely different world here, more Second Amendment friendly, more patriotic. The last 20 years gone totally south. Now we're at the point where we're playing defense and getting kicked in the teeth all the time. We need to play offense, and it starts local. Exactly. That's what I wanted you to hit on. It is easier to win a state assembly office than a governorship. Right. Okay. It takes a small group of motivated people to get out there and do that. Now, Chris Rahag is a great guy. The Rahagas are a great family. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you like Rahagas shooting enterprises, you need to be out there and supporting them. But, <clears throat> excuse me, that's how you win is you have to have a farm team that comes up in politics. And that's where the progressive left and the, the communists, basically the statists, have gotten into our system and destroyed everything. They yes. started off on the water board or the school board or some city council dog council thing, yes. you know, dog catcher thing. And, and they have just grown and been part of the system and, you know, left a trail of destruction in our fiscal uh, government system ever since. So we, it's very, very important. And the easiest thing to elect somebody to is probably a state assembly out here. I think so. I mean, outside a lot of, of city the, council, well, yeah. a lot of the local people, it's all grassroots. I think some of the younger generation, including my generation, they've rested on their laurels and said everybody else is taking care of it, yep. and they haven't we, done it. We've noticed that about you guys. Yeah, and kind of slackers. Yeah, we are kind of slackers. I agree with you, but there's few of us like myself 
that are highly motivated. There's two of you, like and yourself, want yes. to make change. I had to be imported from another state, um, <laughs> but still, I came here and saw all the freedoms you didn't have, and I wanted to help you fight to keep the ones you have and, and kind of reclaim the ones that you've lost here. So one of the things we've been doing at Firing Line Radio Show with the help of a very good friend of mine named Dale Fundak. There's a shout out to Dale. He's uh, recovering from some back surgery coming up here. God, all we do is collect surgeries these days. Have you noticed that? <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> I got about 11 of them. Myself. You got 11, right? It's like I got my, we got orthopedic surgeons like playing cards. Hey, have you got this guy yet? Here you go. Maybe there you can get you a punch card. Pretty much a punch card. Yeah, we might have that going on too. <laughs> anyway, Dale is is working on our voter registration thing, like at Bullseye, yeah. where somebody comes in to buy a firearm. Now, here's if you want your pack to grow, you need to do this in the store. Okay. And I, I've asked Vince this flat out on air <laughs> that he needs to do it. He's promised me he would. When somebody's filling out their form, they have a federal form forty four seventy three that has all your personal information on it. So. You, you, you decide, hey, I want to buy ABC firearm. Great, here you go. Here's the money. You have to fill out this form, and then it goes in for a waiting period and background checks. Okay? So while they're filling out that form, you need to hand them at the same time a voter registration form. And you need to tell them, this is how the 4473 form, this is how you buy the gun. Your voter registration form is how you keep it. If you're not willing to vote and to register to vote, you're not buying a gun. You're just renting one. Yes, I, I like that idea. I've lectured quite a few 19-year-olds that come in to buy one. And I have to tell them you can't buy one. You're not 21. Yeah, <laughs> you can vote. You yeah. can get that straightened out. But it's important because you guys sell hundreds of guns every month. Yes. I mean, that if you registered hundreds of people to vote every month, that'd be fantastic. How, how could that help your pack? What would help the pack? We need more voters. Like I said, I don't care what political party you register for. But you're 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 specific on one item, right. so but yeah, they can register voters. independent, whatever. We want voters, but we're also going to be doing a um, voters guide. So we're going to have a list of candidates in Riverside County. If they're not registered, yeah. it doesn't matter. You can no. you can. It's, we have 18 million registered people, in the state of California. We had eight million vote for the last presidential election. Ten million didn't show up. Well, a lot of people don't think their vote matters. Well, it doesn't if you're 10 million people and you stay home. It yeah. doesn't. That's why they stay. Then that's why they stay home. But when we talked about that all the time, your vote does matter. People didn't think Trump was going to win. He won. Well, but it's I all, know my vote matters. I vote 23 yeah. times in 14 different cities. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned from the opposition. Vote early, vote often. It's a great thing. All of the dead voters. You've got to go back to Boss Tweed in New York for that, and that's around 1890s. So. Right, in Chicago. It's like the funny thing out here is, is you know, my friend of mine passed away last year. Actually, it was 2017. He was Republican his entire life. Yeah. And after he died, he started voting Democrat. We don't know how that happens, but. <laughs> that's a good joke still. But I'm pumped, pumped. So, how do they get involved with you? So, you can go to Riverside County gunowners.com we also have a facebook page so everything we do riverside is county gunowners.com right your facebook page is riverside county gun owners riverside county gun owners are you on instagram we aren't yet you're going to be on instagram probably we look are. for riverside county gun owners probably it's just a lot for one person to take on so we are trying to get more people involved in it uh we do have a good board but all of us do work day jobs and we are volunteers in this right so we're still doing events and stuff we're gonna have a shooting social with uh, tom reese's gun range on the 27th very good so it'll be six to eight open to the public so we'll have instructors there if you want to come shoot that's friday the 27th friday the 27th at riverside indoor range so it'll be fun but we're open to all 
all gun groups. We all need to get together and quit this infighting and go yes, forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's groups that have their problems. We need to take the good things that they do and, and build on top of that. Yep. Desiree, thank you for what you do. Thank you. I mean, and thank you for, for Gary. I, I was telling him yesterday, I make my kids watch 9-11 stuff. That's all we do. On that day, we honor that day and all of the heroes from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area to the Pentagon, everybody that's still dying and suffering, the families and heroes, everybody that gave their lives. We should never forget that. Never forget, folks. Philip Neyman, FindingLineRadio.com. Shoot, Felipe! Shoot! When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.